You are listening to a Commonwealth Bank of Australia Global Economic and Markets Research Podcast. This podcast provides general market-related information and is not intended to be an investment research report. The information contained in this podcast is based on previously published material, and before listening, you're advised to read the full Global Economic and Markets Research Disclaimers, which can be found at combankresearch.com.au. Welcome to the Global Economic and Markets Research Podcast. My name is Belinda Allen and I'm a Senior Economist here at ComBank and today I've got Gareth Aird, our Head of Australian Economics. Gareth, good to have you on. Thanks Belinda, how are you? I'm good and it's been a good week for the Australian economy. Yet again, yeah. I mean, it's uh, we're recording this on Wednesday afternoon yep. and we've had a few really pieces of strong economic information out this week. Um, uh, I guess I'm giving our rivals a bit of a plug here, but the the NAB business survey, which was out on Tuesday, was really strong. Um, today, the Westpac Melbourne Institute Consumer Confidence showed that consumer confidence is at a 10-year high. Mm. Um, so, look, another week seems to be passing by where we're getting very, very strong economic information. Still got one key uh, report tomorrow to come out in the form of the Labor Force survey. But, look, everything that we're looking at is looking very, very good at the moment. That's a nice segue into the outlook for the labour market as well. So we've just upgraded our forecasts for the labour market. Many of our regular listeners of the podcast and readers of our research will know we've been optimistic and more optimistic than uh, others on the Australian economic outlook and also the labour market really since November. Recent data, though, has really started to validate the expectations of where the labour market can go for the remainder of 2021. And I guess that and other forward-looking indicators of the labour market have really led us to, to rethink our unemployment rate forecasts. Yeah, look, they have. Um, the, the indicators of labour demand look incredibly healthy at the moment. Um, and there was a temptation to upgrade our forecasts a little bit earlier, but I think with all the risk around the expiry of JobKeeper, yeah. we, were, we were reluctant to go too early. Um, now, having said that, we still haven't seen a lot of econ- economic information or data uh, post the expiry of JobKeeper, but you know, we think the forward-looking indicators of the economy now are sufficiently strong uh, that we don't need to wait to see um, some monthly labour market prints, for example, on how you know, the labour market's going post JobKeeper. We think there's enough uh, evidence in the data at the moment um, to go out with those upgraded numbers. You know, right across the board, whichever way you slice it, measure uh, measures around hiring intentions, um, job vacancies, a whole range of different series, they're all basically sending the same signal, which is that uh, labour demand is really, really healthy. Uh, and that means the unemployment rate can drop very, very quickly, um, particularly when you consider that the participation rate uh, is back to its pre-COVID mm. highs. And the other thing is that the international borders remain closed, which means... You, know, you don't need too much in the way of wage, uh, employment growth to actually drop the unemployment rate. Um, you know, as I said, we, we, we'll see where the numbers land tomorrow and, and a lot of listeners will be listening to this podcast. After uh, the fact. After <laughs> the fact, yeah. And it is the Labor Force yeah. Lottery. And th- these numbers can print anywhere month to month. So you know, we're, we're not too worried about uh, what we may get tomorrow. We're, we're looking at the bigger picture here in terms of the outlook. And um, you know, from our perspective at the moment, um, things look very, very good. I, I should probably say that our forecast for the unemployment rate to drop very quickly from here are, are clearly conditional mm. on no COVID-related restrictions coming back in any material sense. Um, that's obviously a, an assumption we've had to make, and I think it's the right one at the moment. Of course, if that picture was to change, then you know, the economy could look quite different. But at the moment, you know, on the assumption that we don't see any 
uh, re-imposition of restrictions in any material sense. You know, we're out there with the view now that the unemployment rate's going to fall quite quickly uh, and end, end the year down at 5%. It's interesting, like when, as you said, when we look at every indicator of, of labour demand, things like the ABS job vacancies, ANZ job advertisements, the Australian government publishes a measure on internet vacancy uh, indexes as well. I think what is heartening is even when you look at a industry breakdown of where the jobs are, there's a lot of jobs out there in industries that have been hit hardest by COVID-19. So that gives us some comfort that with the expiry of JobKeeper, people that may be moving off JobKeeper and the employment may, may not be there, We'll be able to get employment elsewhere. Yeah, look, that, that's exactly right, and and that it, it's that sort of data that gave us confidence to go out with this view before waiting to see some of the economic data post JobKeeper. Um, there are absolutely people that will be stood down due to the expiry mm. of JobKeeper. It's it's probably happening right now, but that has to be looked at in the context of all these forward-looking indicators of labour demand, which look very very good, and in as you say, in some of those sectors where. You know, we think jobs are at risk from the expiry of JobKeeper. Uh, in a strange kind of twist of fate, that's where there's a lot of job vacancies. So you know, we think the labour market as a whole will um, absorb the expiry of JobKeeper quite well. And um, you know, I, I think we're going to see some pretty good uh, reads on, on across the board on the economic data from here, even given the fact that that wage subsidy has now expired. So with an unemployment rate forecast of 5% by year end and then further improvements in 2022, I think the next most relevant question is what does it mean for wages growth? We've been at such low levels of wages growth, currently at only 1.4%. How quick can it go up? And the next question is, is can it get close to the RBA's desire of wages growth at 3%? Yep, look, they're, they're very good questions. I think we start. Well, we should start with why or how wages growth has dropped so quickly. Mm. Um, Pre-COVID, it was running at about 2.25%. Uh, but what we saw in the middle of last year is that wages growth dropped very, very quickly. Um, and what, what we found out subsequently through um, some of the quarterly data prints was that some workers around that time were actually asked to take pay cuts uh, and then some of your regular sort of pay reviews were put on hold. So I think we're, we're going to see a little bit of a catch-up in the data. We already got a taste of that in the December quarter where yep. the wage price index came in quite a bit stronger than uh, most forecasters were expecting, including the Reserve Bank. And there was a little bit of catch-up there where those that had taken pay cuts uh, went back to their prior wages and a few of those, um, I guess, uh, wage rises that were in the pipeline that were put on hold were, were brought forward. And we'll probably get another quarter of that uh, in the Q1 wage price index. So I think we will step up here uh, again from the, the very low levels that we're at. I suppose the question though, you know, which is which is um, of more relevance for financial markets mm. and of course for, for trying to pick the Reserve Bank is, you know, what kind of levels does the unemployment rate need to get to to see wages growth, you know, really accelerate and um, are we going to actually see that? And, you know, some of the conversations that we've had through clients, we spoke on about yes. this in one of our prior podcasts, was that you know, these skill shortages that, that are emerging, and, and we're seeing that obviously in the data around um, uh, where the vacancies are, uh, the anecdotes suggest that that's actually translating into higher wages growth. Um, it's early days, so we haven't yet seen that in the data, but we're taking the view that as the unemployment rate drops, uh, wages growth will actually pick up. Uh, we've got it at 2.2% uh, at the end of this year. And then as the unemployment rate continues to fall next year, as we expect, then the lift in wages growth should start to accelerate. So we've got it at two and three quarter percent uh, by the end of next year. Now, there's obviously a lot of risks around that view. Um, 
and some of those revolve around the fact that um, we don't actually know what net overseas migration is yeah. going to look like next year. And you know, the, the longer I think the international borders stay closed, the greater uh, chance that we have of actually seeing those skill shortages manifest themselves into higher wages. And we just don't know how that picture is going to unfold next year. So lots of uncertainty there, but we do think wages growth will pick up. Not, however, to the kind of levels uh, that mean that we forecast a, a hike in the cash rate. Um, the Reserve Bank has made it crystal clear that they need to see wages growth above 3% uh, before they lift the cash rate. We don't have that in that, our forecast profile, so we have the cash rate on hold. Uh, but we have actually made some some other tweaks to our um, forecast for what we think the Reserve Bank will be doing. We'll get to that in a minute. I guess we need to, to close the gap between wages and the RBA and talk about inflation. Mm. So what are the implications for a lower unemployment rate, a slightly faster wages growth profile? What does that mean for inflation? Because it's not, it's not just about wages. There are other impacts on inflation going on as well. Yeah, look, th- th- this is exactly right. I mean, there is a, a very strong relationship between wages growth and inflation, but that's not the only driver of, of consumer inflation. Um, our forecast profile does actually see um, underlying inflation pick up through the year. We've got it at 1.9% at the end of this year, uh, and then 2.25% uh, next year. So within the, the Reserve Bank's target band next year, I mean, the headline CPI in Australia this year is going to bounce around quite a bit. It'll spike... Uh, around the middle part of this year due to base yeah. effects. Then there's been a few kind of interesting things going on that, that impact the headline measure. And I think you know, m- most economists and certainly the central bank will look through the volatility in the headline uh, CPI this year and focus on the core measure. Uh, but we do think it's going to be moving higher. Um, you know, a, a lift in wages, definitely from a cost push side, will we'll, we'll, we'll lift inflation. And then also there's some other um, things going on in the economy with to do with a huge you know, stock of savings there that will support spending. That should see a little bit of demand pull inflation come through in the data. And so we do have, um, as I said, underlying inflation rising. The critical thing, though, from, for thinking about the central bank, uh, from a central bank perspective, is it's not just a lift in core inflation yeah. that will cause them to, uh, to tighten policy from a cash rate perspective. They, they want to see that accompanied by a lift in wages growth, sufficiently so... Um, that they can be confident that inflation is then sustainably, and that, that's, you're using their, their words there, sustainably within the target. Um, so obviously it ha- has to be in the target, and then that needs to be accompanied by wages growth in excess of 3%. So they're, they're pretty high hurdles to see a lift in the cash rate, which is why we have the cash rate on hold. Uh, but we do have a profile, though, that, that challenged their 2024 yeah. forward-based guidance because you know on, on our profile for the acceleration in wages growth, the fall in the unemployment rate to take place you know, over the next kind of 18 months or so. Uh, well, that's clearly you know, a profile that, that occurs well before 2024. And I think um, as we go through the year, financial markets will, will start to question. They, they already are, they I suppose, are. to some extent. Mm. But may, maybe the Reserve Bank even themselves will, will question their own 2024 forward guidance if the economic data prints the way we're uh, for, forecasting it to do so. So, I mean, that's just the RBA's decision on interest rates. Mm. They have a number of other policies underway at the moment. So they've got the term facility funding, the yield curve control, quantitative easing, as well as the cash rate. We have made some changes to what we expect the RBA to do based on these new forecasts. So do you want to run us through the current thinking on the RBA? And I guess even the, the steps that we're going to see them undertake really for the next year or so? Yeah, sure. So I, I guess the difficulty 
um, everyone has at the moment with with calling the reserve bank is that we know their reaction function on the cash rate. Yes. Uh, we don't know their reaction function though on yield curve control uh, or on their quantitative easing program. Um, so we've had to kind of make some assumptions around what what we think they would do based on how we think the economy is uh, going to be travelling. And it's just probably worthwhile noting there that we have been more op- optimistic than the RBA for quite some time and we next hear updated forecasts from the RBA uh, in the May uh, meeting and the May Statement on Monetary Policy, which is in a few weeks' time. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. So tomorrow's uh, or th- Thursday's employment report will we'll feed into mm. that, as will where the Q1 CPI prints, which comes in uh, late April. Yep. So they'll have a few more data uh, prints to go before they produce those forecasts. But without a doubt, they'll be upgrading them. And look, we, we think they'll end up upgrading them as the year goes yep. on because they've, they've tended to be doing that over the COVID period because they've been basically producing uh, what we would describe as pretty conservative forecasts, um, certainly to a, com- as compared with our own profile. And what we're finding is that the economy is exceeding uh, the Reserve Bank's expectations. So, um, back to back to your sort of point around um, what, what we think the Reserve Bank's doing, you know, other than leaving yeah. the cash rate on hold. Um, so, look in the near term, the turf, term funding facility is scheduled to expire on the thirtieth of June, and we think that just remains the case. Um, then, probably the next thing that um, the Reserve Bank will need to address is their yield curve control. Uh, we've had the view out there for quite a while now, from the end of last year, that. You know, they're not going to persist with um, three-year yield curve mm. control um, and that can either involve getting rid of yield curve control altogether, um, which looks like they're not going to do, or what they can do is um, keep the bond, which they've currently got the target pegged to, which is the April 2024 bond, just keep keep the um, the target yield pegged to that bond and that, that bond's obviously... Um, getting shorter in maturity and at some point it's not the three-year benchmark and then you're not actually doing three-year yield curve control. The only way they can sort of persist with that is to go to the November 2024 bond. Look, we don't think they're going to do do that just simply by virtue of the fact the economy is is improving at a rate which is a lot quicker than they they thought and it's improving at a rate that means you don't want to be out there saying we don't think we're raising the cash rate until November 2024. Yeah, it's a long way away. That's right. So that leaves us then to the asset purchase program yep. um so they've they're they've just started this week qe2 or yep. their second hundred billion dollars of um, asset purchases um, they're going to be uh, buying bonds at a rate of five billion dollars a week which means that that qe2 program will last for 20 weeks um, which takes it to the end of august and then the market is is obviously wondering what happens from there. Yeah, it's, it's April and they're wondering what happens <laughs> in <laughs> yes, August, ex- so we need to have a view. Exactly right. Markets markets are very forward-looking and, um, you know, as the months roll around, suddenly the end of August yeah. seems like it's not too far away. Um, so, look, I, I, as I said, we don't really know their reaction function or what, what guides their de- decisions around how, how big or not they want to make their asset purchase program, but few things are kind of feeding into our view that they're going to announce a program which is smaller mm. in size. So we've put their third tranche, tranche of QE, which they haven't yet committed to doing. They've just said that they would do some more if, yep. if conditions warrant it. Uh, we, we think they'll do $50 billion over six months. And a few things are underpinning um, that, that view, which is basically that they're tapering their asset purchases. Um, the first is that we think the economy will be um, on a... On a well, it is on an improving path already, but we think the data will continue to come in pretty well. It doesn't then warrant another six months mm. of bond buying at your current pace. 
And secondly, I think this is really important, um, is that we think the Fed, the US Fed, that is, will also be tapering. Yeah. You know, the, the Reserve Bank is concerned around interest rate differentials and what impact that has on the currency. And so you know, we think they'll be tapering um, at the same time as the Fed is tapering, and therefore, in terms of your relative size of QE programs, well, they won't be too, too out of sync, which means the actions of the central bank won't be putting any upward pressure on our interest rate differentials and, by extension, the currency. Yeah. And therefore, it makes complete sense for them to taper. Gareth, it's been great to get an update on our forecast. It's certainly, uh, in a way, nice to see some optimistic forecasts for the Australian economy this year and next and, and what it means for the RBA. Yeah, thank you. And look, it's nice, I, I should say as well, to, to be able to produce a set of forecasts based on the data that makes the economy look pretty much back to normal mm. by the end of the year with the unemployment rate down around 5%. Where it was pre-COVID. Where it was pre-COVID. Wages growth sort of back to similar to pre-COVID levels. And I think if you look at the forward-looking indicators of the economy right now, that's that's the right set of forecasts to produce. Now, if you would like to read Gareth Ayrt's report titled Australia's Unemployment Rate to be 5% at end 2021, that was published on the 12th of April 2021 on combankresearch.com.au.